Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts. So, today we're talking about how we classify stars. Yes, we are. We talked a little bit about this previously. You talked about the wonderful system of classifying stars, uh, or maybe a system, I don't know. But you're going to go into that in more depth today. So, how do we classify stars? Well, like you um, suggested, you know, you can classify them in lots of different ways. But a, a common way is to use their spectra, which is looking at all of the different kinds of light that the star gives out. So is that like visible light, like all the different colours, or are we talking like X-rays, gamma rays? Yeah, so we're talking everything. Everything. So... Yeah, light is an electromagnetic wave. Mm-hmm. And just like waves on water or anything else, they um, they can have different wavelengths. So that's the distance, you know, just means how, how close or not the peaks of your waves are together. I'm aware that you know what wavelength is. But. Yes. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, and yeah, they, they come... Some of these wavelengths are visible to us, the visible light, and these come in all different colours. So red light has the biggest wavelength, and blue light has the smallest wavelength. Yeah, and the shorter the wavelength, the higher the energy. So blue is high energy, mm-hmm. and it's close to UV, whereas red is low energy, and it's close to infrared. Yes, for instance. yeah, so you took, took the words out of my mouth there. So. Oh, great. I was going to say wavelengths that you couldn't see would include things like UV, which I think is probably the one that most people are are most familiar with because we're aware that it's not good for our skin. Yeah. Um, because it has lots of energy. If you it's kept on, on going, the you'd blue end up end of with the X-rays and gamma rays, which are also not great for you. Um, although I think when you get to gamma rays, they start to become. Okay, right, because they just go straight through you. <laughs> Eventually, um, not a big deal anymore, yeah. Yeah, whereas the other end, IR, I mean, people are happy with infrared. Night yeah. vision, not yeah. night vision, IR that's therapy, different, isn't it? Uh, your heat. hot water bottle, whatever. Yeah, and then further down you got, I guess, radio? Um, radio waves? Yeah. It's Which people are very familiar with on a 
day-to-day level, even if they're not aware that that's yeah, that's a thing. Although I suppose no one listens to radio over the airwaves these days. Everyone probably listens to it on their broadband. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're all different types of light. So okay. yeah. So do we then look at like this is like an X-ray star, or is it more like this is a bluer star, or is it just like? all of these things together. Yeah, so the spectra is all the different kinds of light that the star gives out. Okay. So all of the the light types, if you like, that we just Mm. talked about. So, you know, we would call that in general a colour anyway, including stuff that you couldn't see. Mm. And looking at all of the light that is emitted by the star, all the different colours we can then sort the stars that are similar to each other into groups. Mm. And because the different colours that we see relate to the elements that are there or the molecules or whatever present in the object that you're looking at, like Mm. a star, um, you can kind of tell stuff about about the object that you're looking at. You know, you you can tell what it's made of and things like that, for instance. I guess we talked a bit about that in the exoplanets episode. We're talking about... Going through the atmospheres, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, some people might have seen these pictures before. They, if you look at, if you go onto Google and you type in like stellar uh, spectroscopy or stellar spectrum or something, mm-hmm. some of the pictures you get kind of look like a barcode. Yes, yes. Of, you know, of all the different colours that you could have and there are some bits that are omitted because that particular thing isn't, made on that star mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. so you can you can then group your stars based on on this thing and this technique is called spectroscopy which is a term i'm sure you're quite familiar with as a chemist because it's yeah i mean the spectra you're then talking about which is now going to be more confusing because there's spectra and spectra but when you're talking about the individual lines like a barcode that's then looking at sort of energy levels of atoms and molecules and sort of quantum theory and sort of, yeah, physical chemistry. Yeah. Again, a link between astronomy and chemistry there, which is nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we just... Is there ever like a sort of, well, this is red, but there's lots of x-rays or... Like, and so that's one type, or is it sort of how do we sort of look at the whole spectrum? Is it just looking at those lines, those barcodes, like you say, or is it like a sort of hump? Um, you can you can look at you know, you could make a plot that's intensity, brightness, if you like, mm. um, on the vertical axis, mm. and then you know, wavelength. Mm. Of, of frequency, which is another way of really talking about wavelength, really, let's be honest, yeah. on the horizontal axis, and you would get a curve okay. that looks a certain way. And for different stars, this curve would look slightly different. So it generally has the same kind of shape, but it moves a bit on your plot. Right. So then you sort of you classify it based kind of on where the peak in your curve is or something like that. Some people might be familiar with the idea of black body radiation. Okay. Black body curves. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that if you if something was a perfectly emitting object of, 
of light. Any energy that it had, it radiated away. All of it. You'd get a certain kind of plot. Okay. I'm sure you have come across this uh, yourself. Yeah. You can model stars using black body radiation. Okay. Um, and in some ways it does remarkably well for how clearly crude a model that is. Um, and, and the kind of plot that you would get depends on the temperature. Right, okay. okay. Of, of your object, in this case the star. Yes. So the peak is amongst other things, dependent on the temperature. Okay. So we can look at the, the colours that we see from the stars in different ways and then that then gives us our category, does it? Is that how we're then classifying them? Yeah, so if you look at uh, at a star that's very white, for example, it's very hot. Okay. You know, if you think of your, your classic iron um, fire poker... Oh, right, yeah. yeah. It's white hot. Yeah. You know, when it gets really hot. Mm. Uh, and actually red is the the, the cooler least hot, and, but yeah. still hot. <laughs> you know, by the point of it glowing. Mm. It's obviously, if, you're, if your fire poker is red, don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be hot. But the point is, it's less hot than if it was glowing white. Yes. So... And the same is true with stars. So, yeah, the colour relates to the temperature. Or you might hear it said in a more kind of fancy way in astronomy in terms of colour as a proxy for temperature. Right, Okay. So you can look at the colour and you can infer... You can, you know, you could... You could make a plot, if you wanted, Mm. of something... And then plot it against colour of your star. And that's equivalent to temperature. Okay. Right, yeah, you don't need to worry about... It's a proxy variable. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And you can also measure that and you don't need to worry about it anymore. Yes, whereas trying to measure the actual temperature of an object billions of miles away from you is... And it's just going to be based on the assumption... This is oh, what the light is. Yeah. So, okay. So then, do we then sort of dump it into? Well, this is a white hot poker star, and this is a red hot poker star. There are two classes of stars. Is that kind of the gist of it, or have we got more? Once upon a time, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, a long. You've got to start ago, somewhere. A long time ago, not that long ago. It was like the eighteen hundreds. Okay. But there were. Three classes of stars, which they helpfully called class one, class two, and class three. That was handy. Yeah. So class one were the white slash blue stars. Okay, so you know, white, hot. white and blue ones. The class two were the yellow stars, which it turns out are pretty metallic. And by metallic, we mean we mean anything that is not, not hydrogen or helium. Yeah. So I th- just thought I'd bring that up again for. Yeah. Our own trauma response. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, class three were the kind of orangey, orangey stars. Okay, so we're getting and they cooler. Have more kind of complex spectra. So we've got 
white, yellow, orange. Yes. So that's getting cooler as you go from the first, what did you say, class one to class three. Yeah. And then, however long later, as happens in a lot of science, but it was really common in astronomy, these classes that had been made up kind of arbitrarily Mm. from stars we just happened to have looked at (laughs) uh, weren't enough. Right. So we then ended up with class four and class five being added. Okay. And class four were the red ones. So that's cooler again, I'm guessing. And um, that means that carbon is present. Okay. And then class five were kind of funny ones where... (laughs) There's always one. Is class five the class that doesn't fit into classes one to four? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So the spectra that we have talked about already can be... can have emission lines or absorption lines. Right. So emission lines are when your star is emitting something. Mm -hmm. Like you say, that chemical is present, you know, that element is present and the the heating and cooling or the exciting and Mm de-exciting of that chemical leads to light of a certain wavelength being emitted. Absorption lines are when you don't see light from a particular thing. Yeah. You know, a particular chemical or whatever. So if you looked at the light, you could, like, draw your barcode, Mm -hmm. if you like, Mm -hmm. and you could have it with your your bars being coloured in because that light is present, or you could have them being black and everything else being coloured in. If yeah. you see what I mean. You can either have like a, a rainbow and then black marks drawn on top. Yes. In certain areas where you're like, that must be hydrogen because it equates to the energy levels of hydrogen. Or mm-hmm. it's the opposite way around. It's like, yeah. that's whatever colour. So yep. Yeah. So class five are the ones where, oh no, um, we don't <laughs> see the absorption lines like other stars. Right. We're seeing emission lines. Is that, we're not seeing the absorption lines... We don't know why. Let's yeah, put it I into mean, class five and not think about it for a while. Yeah, we really there isn't. I don't think there was that much knowledge really at Fair. the time. I mean, this is so, the eighteen hundreds yeah. still, isn't it? Yeah, just just about. I think if not in the very early nineteen hundreds. Okay. And then Wilhelmina Fleming came along. Okay, is this a name that we should be remembering? name to mark mark down in our notebooks yeah I mean you know a lot of male astronomers you might as well learn some female ones well she was one of the first Harvard computers okay I'm sensing an issue here because this is a person yes not a Microsoft a Windows computer or an Apple Mac no Other computers they weren't invented them. yet okay this is like early 1900s, is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll come back to the Harvard computers, I'm sure, but um, people probably know the idea since Hidden Figures was very popular. It's the idea of getting humans to do, you know, lots of kind of 
calculations and generally repetitive mm. tasks that you would get a computer to do, if you like. Obviously, not all of them were things that, a, like, a desktop could do, but mm. they are computing things. They do the math. Yeah. Um, and she started a lot of the hard work, really, in dealing okay. with this classification mess that was beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and divided the previous classes, class one to five that we talked about, into further groups. Right. Because she thought... This will help. Is, is the end of this, is the, is the spoiler going to be, it didn't help? <laughs> well, she decided to uh, give them all a letter. Okay, so we've gone from numbers to letters. Yeah, she decided step one, change it from numbers, let's make it letters. Okay. Um, a to N, excluding I. Because it looks a bit like a one? I think Maybe. Because you don't want it to look like class I and yeah, people are like, I oh, it's a class one star. I don't know the answer to that, but I've always assumed it was... Yeah, that's fair. Um, for... Also, I find I's really irritating because if it's a capital, it's like, is that a lowercase L or is that... Yes. You know, all mm-hmm. of these things. Yeah. I is a really... Depending on your type, your font. Yep. But yep. yeah, fair. Okay. And then later she added O, P, P and Q. Let's try that again. Later, she added O, P, and Q. Okay. As well. So we've got quite a lot of classes there. That is quite a lot. That's most of the alphabet. Yep. Then Antonia Maori came along. I hope that's how her name is pronounced. Okay. Um, it's spelled M-A-U-R-Y, for anyone who wants to look that up. And she had the advantage of better data, which is classic. Yeah, that's... that's why come up with a system when you can just wait a few decades? Yeah. It would be better. I mean, I don't think she... I don't know how long she waited. Okay. She was also a, a Harvard computer. She created a system with 22 classes. Right, so that's almost an entire alphabet yeah. at this point. Yeah, so we've gone from five... Well, we've gone from three to five <laughs> to most of an alphabet to, to pretty much the entire alphabet. Then we're going to have to start adding on new letters. We're going to go Greek... Mm-hmm. It's kind of X, Y, Z, alpha, beta, gamma. Yeah. Well, you're not, you're not far off, to <laughs> oh, be honest. Oh, dear. Um, but Antonia Mary did a lot of the very important groundwork for the HR diagram, which I think deserves its own episode okay. all on its own. But The human resources diagram. <laughs> the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. Ah, that sounds like two people called Hertzsprung and Russell. Well done. You know science. <laughs> See, I, I have actually heard of the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram yeah. before, but as a kid, I don't know where I heard it as a kid, but I always thought it was the Bertram-Russell diagram. I see. No. It was a philosopher, maybe? Um, but no, it's not the Bertram-Russell no. diagram. Hertzsprung. Hertzsprung-Russell. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she's setting these guys up. Yeah. So it should almost be an Antonia... I've not heard what she's done yet, but it could have been the Antonia Maori diagram. Um, probably not, but with that said, I reckon she probably got a lot... Well, you know, she will have got a lot less credit for how much her work set up. And I'm already guessing that... Other people have got. I'm already guessing that Hertzsprung and Russell are gonna have like 
doctory positions or something and yes. she has not got doctory positions no uh, maybe... she hasn't she is uh, is a, a human computer she's getting paid pretty much the same as a factory worker right she's getting paid on skilled labor so i was gonna say anyway term... we're gonna come okay, back to this we'll come back so to come back to human computers later tell me more about antonia mary um, she worked out that similar colours of stars have the same absorption lines in the spectra. Okay. So when we were talking about how different colours are related to different things, that's like based on her. We, you know, it's very easy for for us to have that conversation now, and it's you know taught pretty early on in astro-related mm-hmm. degrees. Not that I did an astro-related undergrad, but. Um, but this was not knowledge that they had. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so she she was the one that that um did or at least is credited for um for working that out. And that the spectra is dependent on temperature as well. Which then future astronomers have been very happy with because they need to plot wavelengths or frequency. Rather than having to work out the temperature themselves, and plot that. So thanks to her. Well, they would they would plot color. Okay. Or they could you know you could do temperature. You would just find a conversion. Mm. So she's worked um, out that the colors of stars are related to absorption lines, and that the color is dependent on temperature. Yeah. So. Yeah. She's worked out a few things that they classify in twenty-two stuff. classes. Yeah. Okay. Then came Annie Jump Cannon. And we now have 52 classes. Who you might have heard of. Um, she's more famous than the others, I would say. Okay. But still not famous enough. Okay. Um, I don't think I know the name Annie Jump Cannon. It's a pretty cool name, though, to be fair. Yeah. Um, also a Harvard computer. I'm sensing a pattern here. Yes. Yeah, they all were. And she compiled a stellar catalogue that um, kind of more, or the stellar catalogue, more as we know it. Okay. And the the um, classification system of the Harvard system, is what it's normally called. Harvard system. So the Harvard yep. computers, Harvard system. Yep. They're working at Harvard. Yes. Yes, they are. And she... Funnily enough, this isn't going to come as a surprise to you. Okay. Wanted to make the system less complex. Okay, so she's gone the opposite way. It's not 52, it's 12. (laughs) And she went back to Wilhelmina Fleming's work. That was... The letters. How many was that? We got up to Q, was it? Yes. Without the I. Without the I. Okay. And she was like, this is great. Um, But actually, the order of these needs to be changed... Because I now know about the work of Antonia Maori. Okay. And all of the stuff about the colours on and the spectra and the temperature mm. from that. And so actually we've got to reorganise these. Okay, so she's So now gone... instead of the alphabet, Uh-oh. we've got O B A F G K M. Well that's less than twenty two. Yeah. But I am um... Right, so this is to be consistent, as it were, with 
Wilhelmina Fleming's system, and it's then ordered based on some of the stuff that Antonia Maori's worked out. So, O-B-A-F-G-K-M. That's a smattering of... That, if you got that in Scrabble, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be worried. Yeah. You've got two vowels, I guess. Um, yeah. If anybody can work out what the best point scoring <laughs> word there is, then please let us know. Yeah, we'll send you a free print of some piece of artwork. Foam. We've got foam. Foam, yeah. Yeah. Fang? No, there's not an N. Jeez. Okay. So that's what we're left with. Right. And that's in order of colour then, is it? Which is also temperature. Wow. Uh-oh. It's an order of, of mass. Right. Um, but the the temperature relates to the mass as well. Okay. So there's a there's a whole lot going on. So they don't... which is maybe not surprising when you hear about how, how we much attempted we... to get here. Yeah, and how much we didn't know and how much we didn't know. So do they know that it's mass at this point? Does any jump can know that it's mass or are we still working in like not temperature? Sure. Okay. But well, it's, it's definitely thought of uh, everyone that I know anyway in terms of mass. Okay. But we got it down to seven. Thought about. So that's pretty yeah. good. We're so sorted. we're doing good. It's down to seven. And then later she thought, ah, but though. Oh, this is how it works out. You go from 22 and you're like, this needs to be less. It just needs to be more precise. Right. So she thought, well, I've already got letters, so let's add some numbers into it. Okay. I guess so, that's better than... A lowercase letter after a capital letter, right? So now it goes letter, mm-hmm. and then some number from zero to nine. Okay. Where zero is the hottest, nine is the coolest. Okay. So, for example, the sun is a G two star. Ah, which? So it's it's a G type. Okay. And it's two, so it's pretty hot for a G. Why did why did they pick the lower number as the hotter one? <laughs> I don't know. I want it to be the other way around. I mean, maybe there's some logic there, but uh, yeah, right. So is O the hottest or is M the hottest? O will be the hottest. Okay, so it goes O zero is the hottest, is it? And then M nine is the coolest. So O stars are the very biggest stars and they burn through their fuel really quickly because they have high gravities. Right, so this is where the mass bit comes in. And therefore the temperature of the star is higher because there's a lot of pressure Mm. in the star to cause the high temperature Mm -hmm. because of the high gravity. And yeah, the high temperatures tend to speed up Every reaction. I mean, you're a chemist, so yeah. I'm sure you're on board with that. Um, so they they tend to burn through their fuel pretty quickly. I guess because also... they're, they're hot, so then their reaction happens quicker. Mm. So they don't tend to live as long. They don't live as long. I guess also high pressure probably helps with fusion, does it? Because everything's going to be closer together. Maybe probably at that point it starts to become a bit weird. Yeah, I think the, the 
chemistry and um, I'm not a nuclear physics. Of these things are pretty weird mm. environments, uh, and they tend to be white, like white hot. Because this is the white hot poker. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. High mass. And as you go down the list, the stars get smaller and cooler, so you get down to G, that's the solar-like stars. Okay. K, they're a bit smaller, but they're still pretty similar to the sun, really, all in all. Um, and then M is the M dwarfs, which are very small stars. Oh. And also sometimes called red dwarf stars. Like the TV show. Like Red Dwarf. Yeah, I put that in because I thought you would be interested to hear that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are they called M dwarfs because they're small M stars, or are they, are all M stars M dwarfs? They're called M dwarfs because they're M type and they're small stars. Okay, so can you get some M not dwarfs? No. Okay. <laughs> and, and as far as I'm aware, no. Which is really weird. Because you could just call them M stars. Yeah. But if there's one thing that I have really just learnt in mm. the past however many years of my PhD, which is quite a long time, but we won't mention that, mm. is that when it comes to stars and, like, classifying them, this this mess has not been cleared up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's the vibe I've got from this. You know, why is it an M dwarf, but everything else is like a K, not, a K star? It's not but like maybe an o someone giant. might call it a K dwarf because they can. Like a dwarf. You know? Um, hmm. Why why call your M dwarf a red dwarf? Hmm. Uh, oh, and they're red because they're the cooler ones. So they're a red dwarf. Okay. Um, you know? Mm. Um, but then you don't you don't call it like white massive star do you know what I mean mm. so um, is this classification useful know. and some people will be like talk about L stars which aren't on this list oh hang on a minute <laughs> yeah don't even get me started so right so it's it's chaos so it's chaos when you say this is called the Harvard system does that mean there are other systems that are like like you're then saying L, is that like the Harvard Plus or the, you know what I mean? Are there other ways of classifying there, stars that are there not There most definitely will be. I mean, that's like asking, is there another way of rearranging the elements apart from the periodic table? And the answer is no. But the answer is, <laughs> yeah, there most definitely is, but there it's not is. necessarily sensible. Yes. I mean, the periodic table has been well and truly tested. Mm. So, you know, maybe in however long there will be a different way. Of classifying stars. I think it's kind of unlikely. You know. But but maybe. And there there will be other systems out there because you can make a system in whatever way suits you and your needs. Um but yeah, there's this feels to me like there's quite a lot of like hand wavy things. Yeah. Things aren't really defined very explicitly, which really upsets me. You know? Yeah, so also, like, if you've got, like, an F and G star, are there any stars that are, like, halfway between, I guess, like, a what, an F9 and a G0? Or, like, it could be an F9 or a G0, or is it, like, pretty much... It's got a set boundary, so if the wavelength is, like, above or below... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does 
that answer your question? Yeah. So yeah. does the classification matter, you know, is that, or is it sort of shorthand for, I'm really into super heavy stars, so I'm into like O and B stuff, mm-hmm. so it's helpful to search for O types and B types, say. Um, you mean like in the literature? Or? Yeah, just like in day-to-day, right. like astro work, or, you know, is it, do you not really care? Are you working on B types and G types and M types? Yeah. Um, I guess is it all academic? <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I think I get the impression that research has kind of changed quite a lot, even relatively recently, mm. you know. And academics used to just dabble in everything, didn't they? Mm. You know, I mean, those people still exist. Um for sure, but it feels more like these days you go into a niche in your field and you kind of stay in that niche. Mm. You know, you might, you might, it'll evolve over time, you know, and you might at certain points change and mm. and do something quite different but with the same skills. Um, But it kind of feels more narrow mm. than when I look at people who have, kind of not to be like depressive but more like at the end of their careers and they have for quite a long time done some kind of wildly different things mm-hmm. um it doesn't really feel so much like that now so like you know you in many ways if you know about stars you know about stars right so in many ways your skills and your knowledge is applicable between an M star and an O star. Yeah. Even though one is tiny and one is huge. But actually, there's quite a lot of different physics that goes on mm. within those stars that I couldn't even comprehend until I ended up doing stellar research. Yeah. How different they actually are. And yeah. so you can feasibly, you know, be someone who's like a, a solar physicist or a a stellar physicist that works on low-mass stars and never, ever in your life go anywhere near stuff on high-mass stars or vice versa. Mm. So it is helpful from an academic point of view. I can go on to the, you know, the the archive of papers and I can search for M-dwarfs and I know that what's going to come up is going to be relevant to me, for example. Mm. Or solar-like stars. Um, I guess also... And so maybe in that sense the hand weaviness doesn't matter. Mm. Um, but, I don't know. As a as a member of the public, a Joe Bloggs type, and you're sort of vaguely aware of stars in the night sky, you're like, oh, Sirius, Polaris, they've all got names. Mm. And then I'm listening to you talking about your research, you learn. Um, so I've just found another star in the database that I can compare my work to. It's, it's MK473542A. Yeah, you read out its number plate. Yeah, and I say, sorry, what? And you're like, oh, MK472A. I very much doubt that was what I first said. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but um, it might be quite handy if you're at a conference or in a paper already just to be like, this is a an O-type star in this place. And then you're like, oh, I know what that means as a researcher. 
Yeah, it's very handy and people do it all the time, yeah. So I guess that's a benefit of having a classification, even if maybe it's a bit like, is there an L-type star? Is it an 09 or a 08? It's not so much that, you know, it's not like like there's anything particularly wrong with the system. Mm. It's just, I think it's more, I don't know, not a cultural thing is very, like, extreme, but I don't know if it's just kind of like a, a leftover thing from this being not very well defined and not very well classified mm. for such a long time um, that people just uh, are lazy with stuff, <laughs> you know? Like, why call it a red dwarf when you can call it an M dwarf? Yeah. Why do that? Well, you can make popular you know, cultural references. Like, it's just not helpful. Yes. I I understand that there is a bit of added knowledge there, but, like, really not, not really. <laughs> yeah. You know is what it, I mean? Is it like so a cultural like, thing? Is it like, you know, Europeans would call it an M-dwarf and Americans would call it a red dwarf, for instance? Or, you know what I mean? I don't know. Is it a generational thing? If you're, like, an 80-year-old Professor Emeritus... Maybe I don't know. I mean, within my experience, it's not been there's not been any rhyme nor reason, but it doesn't mean that sure. there isn't a pattern there. I suppose. Mm. So, if O's the biggest and M's the smallest, does that mean there isn't, by definition, there's not like a a, a bigger than an O? I guess is that like a black hole at that point? Or, yes. And then is there anything smaller than an M? Is that like a Jupiter? Is <laughs> not not a star? Yeah, um, not really bigger than an O, smaller than an M, you could get a brown dwarf, which is the very smallest stellar object. I say that in that I I would call them a stellar object. Okay. Are they a star? Mm, Different people have different opinions on that. Again, we're back to... We're back to hand wavy. Some people would say, yes, it's a star, but it's like a failed star. It's not like, but it's a star. Mm. Other people would be like, well, it's not a star because it it doesn't make its own light. So it's not a star. Right, yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're kind of a weird thing that's kind of not a star, not a Jupiter. Mm-hmm. They're their own thing, their own interesting object, but kind of a weird thing, Mm. yeah. In fact, size-wise, they're really small. They're not any bigger than 0.075 suns. Right. Which is about 75 Jupiters, I think. Okay, yeah. So I was going to say from our episode on the solar system, Yeah. the sun makes up a lot, so... yeah. Even 0.075 solar masses is quite big. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, to me, kind of, my brain does it the other way around, which is just shows how we can't deal with numbers, right? Yes. Because um, I'll go, 75 Jupiters, oh, that is quite big, yeah. Yeah. Point se- point zero seven five suns, yeah, that's small. Yeah. And, like, it's the same object. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you wouldn't be able to see the planet Earth if it was anywhere near the sun. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just um it's just a matter of units, isn't it really? Yeah. So yeah. we've got 
O B A F G K M. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing it's not just like evenly spread. It's like how do you say a seventh O type, a seventh M type. Mm, how do you know that? I was just a guess. It doesn't. I feel like even though you've just classified it into seven equal categories. Mm-hmm. The universe is not going to say, yeah. No, the universe definitely does not say, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So is it like 1% yeah. O type, 99% M type? Or... Yeah. So smaller stars are much more common, which okay. makes sense. Yeah. Actually, in the observations, there's a little peak. Oh. Uh, so, you know, instead of thinking of it as like an exponential mm. decreasing as the mass gets bigger, there's like a weird little peak before... Your curve decreases. Mm. Um, so it kind of goes up and then down. What's that peak? Um, Is it us? Yeah, we don't really know. But <laughs> lots of astronomers think it's uh, a biasing in the data that small right. stars are more difficult to find because they're, they're just not as bright. Yes. So um, they're kind of more difficult. So. Yeah. Probably not uh, a real feature, mm. probably of the universe, and more a feature of our observational capabilities at the moment. Do you think that will change with JWST, or is that just going to sort of increase the total number of stars, but it's still seeing brighter stars? It's just that they're now further away. Sort of yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it really works because presumably, you know, if you just get a better telescope, you'd just see more of everything. Yeah. So you would need to get a telescope that sees more... That in some ways biased the other way, yeah. as it were. Um, and then you need your biasings to cancel out yeah. in... Um, in whatever. Um, so, yeah, who yeah. knows? Yeah. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, because as a... As a non-astro-scientist, I'm quite used to the idea of you can at least pretend to have control over your experiment. But mm. with astronomy, no it's control. out there and you get what you can get. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no control. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a different kind of experimenting, isn't it, really? Mm. You don't... It's, it's literally all just observing. Like you say, yeah. you just... You look up and you hope that what you get is helpful, and you it's you can help yourself mm. <laughs> by knowing to look in the right places for the thing you want to see, but you, you've no control over seeing a particular thing. Yeah, and you can um, have series and simulations, but they're based on your observations <laughs> in another way. So it's then. They often are based on observations, yeah. It's pretty rare, especially these days, for for theories to be much more kind of um, cold, hard principles. Yeah. Um, they have, a, they, you know, they do exist and they have happened in the not-that-distant past. But, um, yeah often guided by observations and and observations tend to be guided by theory so it goes both ways yeah which is helpful but um yeah it's a feedback loop and you don't that's not always helpful (laughs) no 
Yeah. So that was stellar classifications mm-hmm. and um, the perfectly logical, sensible classifications that we have to this day. Um, it sounded like pretty much everything there, apart from the very early stuff, was based on Harvard computers. Yeah, they did a huge amount of the work. Um, which, from what you were saying about, um, you know, low-paid factory worker, but with numbers, mm-hmm. essentially, um, does that mean that when you say the term Harvard computer, that sounds more like sort of human robot to me? You know, it, does, it sounds like drudgery worker. Is that what it was like back then as a term? Do you know what I mean? Like, or did that have more of a... Did being a computer back then not sound like a dehumanising thing because computers didn't right, exist? yes. Um, I, think it, I think it's a bit of both, but like you say, it's nothing to do with the word computer. They performed a lot of tasks that they were often highly skilled people and <laughs> underpaid. Um, specifically women, and they often, they you know, they were trained in astronomy mm. and, and maths and physics and, and research, and often they had university degrees. Not all of the time, but, mm. but often. Um, and the reality is they were unable to get other jobs, similar kind of jobs that that would be better paid and have a career progression mm. to them. And so, to some extent, I think it was viewed, they probably viewed it quite positively because it was their opportunity to do the thing that they presumably liked and and loved, were interested in, um, which they wouldn't otherwise get. But then at the same time, they're being paid, you know, the same as a factory worker, despite being highly skilled Mm. people. Um knowing that men could make a career out of this and be their boss pretty quickly, really, in reality, to some extent. Um, So, you know, there's always going to be a dehumanising element there in that sense. But what they did was kind of not... uh, not robotic. I mean, I think a lot of it was quite repetitive because they took a lot of measurements of stars mm. um they measured the the brightness and the position in the sky and the color and they took spectra for hundreds of thousands of stars mm. you know i think it was something crazy like two two hundred and twenty thousand like if you took all the plates that they had taken their observations on because mm. telescopes used to take pictures on plates you know like like, like cameras right. yeah um if you took all of them it would weigh more than like one and a half tons mm. or something you know so like it's a crazy amount of work yeah and um, how many people i'm guessing and that some of that is going to be quite repetitive i'm guessing they don't have like two hundred thousand people working as human computers, like... No, they don't, but this is... Uh, so... 
the the watchful leader of the group of the Harvard computers was a guy called Edward Pickering. Right. Who was an astronomer and famous for discovering a certain type of binary star. Um, Is it a Pickering binary star? No, a spectroscopic binary star. Okay. If you wanted to look that up. And it's um, it's a star system that's got two stars in it. It's a binary system. Mm. And they the stars are pretty close together and they rotate pretty quickly. That sounds like a right nightmare for working out which star it is. It's like, it looks like this star and yeah. this star together. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a class five. So he wanted to classify stars. Okay. He also had money from a widow. Okay. Miss, Mrs. I can't remember her first name, but her last name was Draper. Okay. And she worked with her husband, who did some work on classifying stars and some other things. Yeah. And she worked with him, because that was often how women were allowed to yeah. to do science. And he died, and so she decided that she wanted this work to continue, and he, she wanted his work and presumably her own work, because it is also yeah. her work, to get published and to go somewhere after all that. So gave money and some telescopes and stuff to Edward Pickering, who was their friend, their right. family friend, okay. to do something about this, because she couldn't do it now, because she was not allowed because oh, I mean, she's now not married, so it's not her husband working. Is that yeah, kind of so she can't work in her own right on the stuff? So he decided to set up a group to do this, and because he could pay women a lot less, nice he could get a lot more of them. Mm. And basically, you know. We're now living in an age where there's so much data we don't know what to do with it. Mm. So, like, CERN or, like, you know, some of the big telescopes, I'm sure that the Square Kilometre Array and other things like this will be following suit. They just observe so much stuff and a huge amount, like 90% of the data, just gets instantly binned. <laughs> because we can't store it anywhere. We yeah. just, we cannot deal with the amount of data yeah. Saw... So it gets filtered into, you know, is this interesting or not? Mm. Obviously, a computer is not perfect at doing that. So mm. there could have been huge amounts of interesting things. Probably We've just binned it. Much. <laughs> um, really quite, <laughs> quite something, isn't it? But, you know, these places do their best with the technology that we mm. have available for that to not happen, but it's bound to happen because we're just binning so much of it. And they were kind of in a similar situation. So they're the ones deciding whether to chuck out the photos that they've taken of nothing, is that Well, not so much that, but they were in a similar situation of just the amount of data that they needed or were collecting, depending on the project, was just so much they, they couldn't deal with it, they couldn't process all of it. And so his solution was get more staff. Right, I love I love the idea that in like I don't know was this like the nineteen twenties or something they're like we've got so much stuff 
we can't possibly process these 200,000 things and then... I mean, that was over time. Okay, yeah. But you meet someone today, they're like, we've got over seven quadrillion things. Yeah. And it's like, oh, 200,000, that's... that's, That's I can go on a floppy disk and we don't use floppy disks anymore. Exactly. Yeah, times Uh, have changed, for sure. I did see a thing... This was how he ended up with a whole bunch of women in his lab. see. Um... But, you know, one, not, I don't mean for this to have been like a depressing element of just like gender um, segregation and oppression, which is still very much widespread in the world. But something that I thought, as well as that kind of teaching moment from history, Mm. (laughs) was quite positive, Mm. was that after Pickering died... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> don't worry this story picks up after he dies no, no that's not what i meant but after he died instead of them just bringing on another man right. to take over annie jump cannon was the one who jumped in who took over the harvard computers mm. and does she get a bigger paycheck but oh, not as big I as him know. presumably Gender pay differences still exist today. Yes. So, um, but a lot of the time it's meant to be illegal. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is meant to be, but. Doesn't stop it happening, but. Um, let's see. but yeah, so, so these so. are the Harvard computers. Does that mean there's like, I don't know, the Yale computers? The, do all of these observatories or whatever start going, I know. We discovered this new thing called computers. We get a bunch of women. Mm. We don't pay them very much, mm-hmm. and they do sums for us. And um, it's a miracle. It's great of the early twentieth century. Yes. Soon everyone will have a computer in their house. <laughs> yes. Um, Is it just Harvard? It's not or? just Harvard. No, uh, they were they were pretty common. So. <laughs> Um, Women are exploited everywhere. Again, still true to this day. Um, so the moon landings, you know, they're, they're very famous, the human computers at NASA. Yeah. Um, What's better than exploiting women, exploiting black women? Oh, yeah. But the Greenwich Royal Observatory also practised this. Nice. Amongst other places. So, yeah, it's... Um, Both sides of the Atlantic. It's not uh, just Harvard. I see. But we don't hear about the Greenwich computers. No, I suppose they uh, they didn't get us to the moon, so maybe they're not quite big enough for a Hollywood blockbuster movie. No, and the the they didn't come up with a system that was O B A F G K M. <laughs> Sounds like a really naff radio. Yeah. Um, what's the word? I don't know. Um, acronym. Okay. It feels like in the UK, or maybe not just the UK, but when you hear like sections of American things, it's like tune into OBAFKGM <laughs> radio. Your home for <laughs> all your music needs. Can confirm <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Um, I was twenty something years old, too old, 
when I learned ABC, the ABC station. Oh, right, yeah. American Broadcasting Centre. Like it stands for something. I'm not to be confused with the Australian Broadcasting yes. Corporation company. I don't know if it's Centre in America, but like. Yeah. Yeah. I just. It's not just educational videos or something. Just for however long was like, they have a channel called ABC. ABC. <laughs> why, why are they so obsessed with letters? Like, just. Yeah, wasn't. I guess you've got. Is it MSNBC? <laughs> Which. Um, means something um yeah so have you got any positive uh uplifting uh, he died and somebody got a pay rise maybe um and we know their name yeah i think that's actually quite impressive to be honest like they're computers but you go i think was it three different names you mm-hmm. gave yeah let's let's give them a shout out if you listen. Yes. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Wilhelmina Fleming, to Antonia Maori and Annie Jump Cannon. All people that uh, we should know the names of. And, um, you know, they they did some really groundbreaking work, really. Underpaid, as many postdocs yeah. <laughs> and PhD students relate to so that just about wraps things up for this episode please can we encourage you to subscribe to through the telescope wherever you find your podcasts and if you like you can leave us a nice positive review as well it really helps the show and it makes it easier for more people to find us feel free to send us any comments questions or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye! Bye.